You surely saw the new video already, Jeff. Of course. Milena, come on, drop the beat. Yes. Nasmata, you're about to win. We'll bring it on, little one. My first beat. Pump the heat. Save energy. Works for me. Okay, cool. Drilling tool. Super strong. Last so long. Whatever. Whatever. I mean, it's clever. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Hi, my name is Melina Otworth. And I'm Jeff Kostaitis. Welcome to the show. Tell me, when is your personal Earth Overshoot Day? The 2nd of April. 2nd of April. Mine is the 11th of April. We did that test on footprintcalculator.org, where everybody easily can measure his or her ecological footprint. I got a little anxious when I saw how many Earths we would need if everyone would live like me. Yeah, that was not exactly uh, inspiring. Four Earths. <gasps> 3.6. It sounds terrible. Yeah, that's a lot. But did you see that the average American would need five planets? So. Oh, no, I, 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 I thought about that when I was taking the test and I thought for sure I would be lower than the average American by now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've truly adopted my new culture. I've been in, living in Germany for five years now, so I've, I've picked up a thing or two about uh, being uh, ecologically responsible. I'm proud to say that. For example? I certainly drive a lot less, and that's, that's forgetting about corona nonsense. It's just uh, taking a lot more public transit, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think also one of the things for sure is I'm using a lot less electricity. But that's also a little bit, you know, the, the market is a little distorted there. The the uh, taxes on electricity in Germany are about three times that, what they are in the U.S. Really? So there's really a huge incentive to be much better about your electricity usage in Germany. Mm. It's fascinating. Mm. Interesting, yeah. In general, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, well, the coronavirus and lockdown measures, because I think those really obviously had an impact on my mobility behavior. Oh, yeah. I mean, still my result yeah. is, is really bad, I think. As I was taking the test, I was reflecting on that because one of the questions was, how many hours of flight time did you have? Yeah, yeah and exactly. And in previous years, I was flying a lot. I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of transatlantic flying. I wonder what it would be in, quote, normal times. All right, so where are we? Sustainable living. Yeah, It's kind of overwhelming to think about all of the things that you could do on a personal level in order to achieve a more sustainable lifestyle. There is so much. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a huge topic. It affects everything. What we eat. Yeah, where we live, how we're moving around. What we consume. Pretty much every aspect of life. And you know, the one we didn't uh, tip off yet uh, specifically is, is the use of water. Which, by the way, I need to have a quick sip. Oh, go for it. Thank you. Wasn't that like such a great and witty way to build a bridge to today's topic? Uh, yes, of course. Because uh, today's topic is water. And specifically the sustainable use of water. Imagine, Jeff, we would try to become perfect role models for a sustainable life. We would be very busy, I think. Don't you? Mm -hmm. And even if we'd limit it to the use of water, for example, as you just mentioned. Good thing is that there are sensors and chips that can help us live a more eco-friendly life. And water, of course, is, is really a huge topic on its own. Um, and even though fresh water is still 
completely abundant in most places. That's certainly not the case everywhere. And for this episode, I talked to someone in Australia who has changed the water utilization habits on a big scale. He made a whole Bosch factory rethink how they're handling their wastewater. And with some surprising and beneficial side effects. But we'll talk more about that later. Cannot wait for that. But I'd suggest, first, let's continue with looking at our own lifestyles. What do you think? All right. Jeff, would you follow me into the basement? And that does sound very that creepy. That sounds ominous. Creepier uh... <laughs> it actually is, but let's go to the I basement. Trust you. By now, I trust you. Okay, let's go. <laughs> do some laundry with you. Great. Because doing laundry right can save a considerable amount of water and energy. Plus, there is a special guest waiting here for us. Jeff, please meet one of Bosch's leading experts on washing machines. My name is Harald Moschitz. I am a development engineer in the Berlin Development Center for Laundry Care of BSH. And for our listeners, BSH is the household appliance division of Bosch. So Harold really is a true expert when it comes to home appliances. That's right. If uh, during a party or somewhere somebody recognized that I'm a washing expert, then immediately I got questions to discuss laundry issues. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that might get old kind of quick. <laughs> uh, well, but Jeff, in fact, do you have any laundry that needs to be done? Well, thank you for asking, Melina. I actually have these gym <laughs> towels right here. That is perfect. Some sweaty gym towels. <laughs> Love it. Jeff, how would you wash these? Uh, well, they're really dirty, so hot. Uh, and I think my machine goes up to 90 degrees. Let's ask Harold. To get towels really clean in current times, you need only moderate washing temperatures. A recommendation is about 60 degrees. And heavy-duty detergent. Heavy-duty detergents contain uh, bleach that is helping to make them completely clean and hygienic. And this bleach is already activated at 60 degree with modern detergents. Mm, that makes sense because bleach doesn't just have an optical effect, getting rid of stains and stuff. It also kills bacteria. Yeah, of course. That had kind of slipped my mind. Good to point out. Next, let's add some detergent. Again, Jeff, what, what would you say? How much do we need? I, uh, I just kind of eyeball it. Um, I, I know there is a correct amount, but I honestly have no idea what it is. It's a gut feeling. Mm. And just throw some in there and walk away. And then always put a little more, right? Yeah, just to be course, on the safe side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In German, there's the uh, idiom, viel hilft viel. Have you, have you heard of that? Ah, you know uh, yeah. Okay. So, feel, have feel. That that is uh, for our uh, English speakers. That is much helps much, which is obviously yep. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> A little extra doesn't hurt, right? Yeah, I guess you can't really put too much soap in, right? That's what we would probably think. But let's see what Harold thinks. This is wrong, of course. If you are using too much detergent. This can lead to heavy foam creation inside the machine. And then typically the machine will start with uh, foam preventing measures at additional rinsing cycle that is costing water and time. 
and uh, too much detergent is also a waste of resources. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize um, that the machines had such uh, such sophisticated capabilities to react to those problems mid-cycle. Uh, so really, you end up uh, using even more water to get rid of that foam. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep, it is. But you do want some foam, right? Look, our machine hardly produces any. Uh, I would assume that's because there's not enough detergent in there. See? See? I told you that this would be a problem. <laughs> I would have expected... <laughs> I really so. would have expected to see a lot more change in the water. Um, you know, maybe in the color or, or, or really seeing some foam through the window. Um, wouldn't you want or expect to see that as the process is going about? Harold? This is also wrong. Oh, of course. Again. It's coming from the past where this uh, may have been valid. But in modern washing detergents... There are chemicals inside, so-called foam inhibitors, that prevent excessive creation of foam, so you will hardly see foam during the normal washing cycles. I really hadn't realized that those cycles were so finely tuned. That's incredible. So, Harold, is that to say that the foam is really bad? It depends. If you have the delicate cycles and you are using special delicate detergents, these uh, detergents still create foam because the foam is there protecting the textile from too much mechanical action and uh, so it is taking care for the law for the textiles in this case. Wow, okay. I, because I had actually always been rather skeptical that you would need different kinds of detergents between delicate clothes or regular clothes. Yeah. Which I guess is, mm. is kind of a, a naive thing to think in, in the era we live Consider in. It. Yeah, I, 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 never, I never considered that foam would impact the mechanical yeah. force that's being exerted on a piece of fabric in a washing machine. That's crazy. But I, when you think about it, it makes sense. But it's still fascinating that we have that level of knowledge. Well, con considering that we were wrong with our assumptions now yeah. when it comes to <laughs> Every washing. Every assumption we made was incorrect. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you, Harold. That was pretty interesting. We'll hear from you again a little later because I have some more questions about washing machine technology. How did they get so much more energy efficient over the past years? Okay, Jeff, I, I think we're, we're done here. Let's, let's get back. Let's get upstairs again. Yes, please, back into the fresh air and sunlight. So example number one in using water sustainably. Use your washing machine correctly. That sounds easy enough. Yep. Breaking the problem down into small pieces makes the switch to a more sustainable lifestyle so much more doable. But still, Harold told me how hard it is to actually change people's habits. Yeah, of course. If you're used to doing something one way, uh, it it's, can be hard to change it up and start doing it another way. Uh, I mean, in the first place, you have to actually want to make that change. Uh, and then you have to actually be successful in establishing the new behavior, which can be just as hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it doesn't stop with yourself. Because I mean, once you made the switch, trying to convince others to follow your example is even harder. <laughs> yes, that's uh, an easy way to bring a little bit of uh, conflict into a relationship. Uh, at least Spice I've it noticed. up a little. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dear good friend of mine, allow me to inform you how wrong you are. Um, <laughs> 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 Told you so. <laughs> that's my favorite yeah. phrase. I did tell you so. Uh, 
it's bad enough trying to tell someone they're wrong and it's even a step worse telling them mm-hmm. that you know the right way. On the other hand, we do need role models, I'd say, who mm-hmm. show us what can be done. And that's why I would like everyone to meet Emily McCafferty. I am the blogger behind AccidentalHippies.com, and I document our lifestyle and encourage other people to take a more sustainable path in their own lives. Hippies on our tech podcast. Um, <laughs> slow down. I'm sorry, slow who down. scripted this? <laughs> Accident- <laughs> Accidental hippies, okay? Yeah, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> so what happened was uh, Emily and her husband fell in love with a plot of land in a rural part of Kentucky. When we came up the driveway the very first time we came to view the property, we knew instantly, this is it. This is where we're going to live. A quiet place, lots of trees, and that's it, basically. No power lines, no water pipes, no sewer, but they decided to build a house there anyway. So since we're focusing on water today, and cheers, by the way. Uh, yep, cheers. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Where does their water actually come from then? Our water comes from the sky. (laughs) So we um, are lucky to live in an area with abundant rain water. So we have a large metal roof and our gutters feed into an underground concrete cistern that is 2,500 gallons, um, 2,500 gallons. Let's convert that for our metric friends real quick. Uh, 2,500 gallons in Mm -hmm. liters. 2,500 liquid gallons is equivalent to 9,463.529 liters. <laughs> we got a little help here. <laughs> Digitalization, right? Um, okay, so 9,500 liters. That's, um, well, that's that's quite it a lot. It sounds like a lot, yeah. yeah, but still they have to be super careful not to use too much water. When they take a shower, for example, they try to make it very short, When they brush their teeth, they only pour a little bit of water in a cup and use that. And when they wash their dishes, they don't let the faucet run either. We don't have a dishwasher. That could save water, honestly, but it's more of a power drain for us. So we choose to just hand wash it and we're very efficient with how we do it. But we have a high efficiency washing machine for our clothes because I tried to do our laundry by hand for a little while and it actually used more water and more energy from the pump running to bring that water up to do laundry that way than it was to put it in a high-efficiency washing machine and wash it like normal. Okay, so there you have it. Saving water is actually quite easy, of course, just like (laughs) normal people. I'm sorry, was that sarcasm a little over the top? Yeah. Um, Well, well, (laughs) Emily is not too religious about it. I hope not. So when she goes on a vacation, for example, she's happily enjoying an endless supply of water as most of us are used to. If I go to a hotel, (laughs) I will luxuriate in the water sometimes. I'll fill that tub all the way up. (laughs) But at home, they use a lot less water than other people. Emily has actually done the math, and she says the average American uses 80 to 100 gallons per person per day. And they use half of that for the whole family. And she says it's not that difficult to do. It's not really hard to live the way that we do. I'm not like going to the river and hauling buckets of water. (laughs) It's a pretty easy lifestyle that we've created for ourselves in terms of water usage. So if we can do it, other people can certainly do it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, for sure. 
Um, but on the practical side of things, I'm a little less sure. Well, but I mean, Emily blocks about their experiences and she tries to inspire other people to live more sustainable. Reaching people in a way that speaks to them. Changing mindsets is pretty hard though. But when you talk about a concrete problem that is not abstract, but right in front of you, I think that makes it a little easier, at least. And I certainly, in all honesty, uh, really appreciate a role model like Emily. That, that doesn't yeah. mean necessarily I have to live that same lifestyle. Um, but certainly I can copy one or two things from her and her family. You know, cherry pick a little bit. Yeah. So thanks for that story, Melina. Pretty well. That's the bottom line, I think. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Melina, I have an interesting story to share as well, and it ties exactly to what Emily was just saying, solving the issues that are in front of you. Mm-hmm. Here's one Bosch associate who did just that, Kajendra Tapa. I joined Bosch in 2009, and since then I have been working here as a chemical engineer. Um, here is where exactly? I'm here in uh, Melbourne, uh, Bosch, Clayton. So Clayton is the um, suburb. That's where the Bosch Australia headquarters is placed. And that's where I work. When Kajendra starts his job in Clayton, he told me, he learns that the, the Bosch factory in Clayton predominantly produces one thing these days, diodes. Those are small electrical components that are exported globally uh, and used to control the voltage mostly in cars. But that's not really the point. What's important is that to make these diodes, you need two metals, copper and nickel. So Kajendra learns about the micro-etching of copper and the nickel plating process that follows. But what he's most interested in is what happens after that. You know, those processes produce a lot of wastewater. And that water is contaminated with copper and nickel. And Kajendra is none too happy with how that water is treated. The method that we had at that time was basically just storing in a tank and then rely on a third party um, come on site and pump that liquid out. So we used to have truck coming on site two times a week coming on site and pumping the liquid into their truck. And then they used to take that liquid waste to their facility for further um, for the processing. What's, what's wrong with that? Well, well, nothing wrong per se. Uh, of course, they're, they're meeting all the regulatory and environmental requirements and, and everything's working fine. It's just that disposing of that waste, which is toxic at the end, um, it is quite expensive. And at the same time, what's dissolved in the water, those are two precious metals, copper and nickel. That's good stuff. I basically started thinking about recovering that precious um, metals, copper, nickel, from the liquid waste, and uh, hopefully reducing the disposal costs. So th- these were the two main uh, driving factors for me to really look into those waste. So Kajendra decides in the first step should be separating the water that's contaminated with the copper uh, from the water that's containing the nickel. That that makes things easier right at the beginning. Then I grabbed the copper-containing liquid waste, and you know I collected, I think, about five or six liters in a big, big jar, and then I decanted into a small beaker to do my chemical testings. And so what he has in his beaker is a liquid which is it's really a deep blue color. Uh, he adds in some some other chemicals to see if he can somehow separate the copper from the water. And of, of course, he, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's got a PhD in chemical engineering, so you could, so you could say he's done his homework. 
So I did you know, lots of tests to to check the effect of the various the reagents that I was adding to separate the copper from the liquid. So I started seeing good positive uh, results. Oh, that that sounds like there is a bot coming. <laughs> Always. Um, so so what he's got at this point is is like a sludge uh, at the bottom of the beaker, and and that's containing the copper. So that that's still waste. But what he he's really going for is is a perfect solution, uh, not something that's just seventy five percent better. Really solving the issue. Oh, okay. The perfect solution would basically be, in the end, he has a jar of clean water in one hand and a piece of copper in the other hand. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> so then he veers a little bit out of his his comfort zone as a as a chemical engineer, and starts thinking about something called electro winning, the old anode and cathode trick. And then I, I started seeing the deposition of copper onto the into the cathode. So straight away, that gave me gave me really excitement. Yes, it works, you know. So that that was like a breakthrough in my test. That works. So he's he's made some huge progress here already. He really can extract the copper out of that liquid. But it turns out that that was actually the easy part. I knew that there was yeah, something right? else. Well, come on, we got to put some drama in these shows, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, well, so so he's he's made a lot of progress so far, and he's found a great solution. Um, but he still has an issue uh, in the people around him. Oh, the human factor. Mm-hmm. Right. One challenge was to get the method right. The other challenge is to get that buy-in from the from the colleague, from the team, from the management. Um, so people were very comfortable with what uh, what the setup uh, we had at that time. That process was running for, I would say, about ten to fifteen years at least. People were so comfortable and used to of doing the same thing. So when I come across this new idea, obviously, you know, the the look or the the reaction from the people was. What are you talking about? You know, like this is working fine. It's <laughs> running fine. We never had any issues. Mm-hmm. I see. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the same thing we we discussed earlier with with Emily. You know, the solutions are there. Getting people to use them totally different challenge. I guess it's human nature, isn't it? We just we like our <laughs> habits. That applies for doing laundry or driving a car, mm-hmm. as well as processes at work. Maybe especially processes at work. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, the the way I hear it said in Germany is never change a running system. Um, <laughs> but but Grandpa always said uh, something a little bit different. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> right? Thanks, Grandpa. Change is always an investment. Yeah. Not only a financial investment, um, also a mental investment. It is just so much easier to carry on with how you've always done things. But not with Kajendra. No, 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 no. He found a company, actually not not too far from Clayton, uh, still in Australia and still in Queensland, um, that actually is producing the electro-winning equipment for mines. So they use it to extract metal from their wastewater. Uh, Couldn't that also work at the Bosch factory? So I sent some solution, about 1,000 liters from here, Bosch Clayton side, to Queensland. And then they did the testing in their rig, and they managed to recover 99.9% copper. Wow. And from the test, they showed me a, like a cylindrical shape, a metallic, pure copper 
cathode, basically a cylinder of copper, which came out from that liquid. That's cool. That's really cool. So, so that's a, about a pound, uh, which is a lot. And copper is expensive these days. You know, that, that's no joke. So once Kahendra can show that to his colleagues, that really changes everything. They can, you know, hold it and feel it. Oh, yeah, it does work. This is a real copper, 99% of copper, which we can sell. Then uh, I think they, they got really excited as well. I can totally imagine that meeting. You put this blue liquid on the table <laughs> and a piece of copper. And when you say, here, this came out of that, that convinces people so much more yeah, than a little bit slides of alchemy. Yeah. PowerPoint on a screen, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should have invited a psychologist on the show as well, now that I come to think of it. It's really interesting how the human brain works like that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> continue. <laughs> so what do they do with the wastewater now in Clayton? Uh, so Kajendra got to install his water treatment plant eventually. Um, it's just uh, two by two meters, uh, and every two or three weeks they're able to harvest the copper. Harvest? The copper? Yes, harvest. That's what Kajendra calls it, yes. Um, they, they harvest three tubes of copper, each uh, 14 or 15 kilograms. <laughs> wow. And they're actually more than a meter long. Um, they're using a, a crane to lift the things. Um, and every now and then, a, a metal recycling company uh, swings by to buy them. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. 2,600 kilos of copper uh, we recycle every year through that metal recycling company which is, you know, basically paying off uh, all the installation costs and operation costs, and uh, we are already making some money as well from that plant. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that copper is uh, quite the expensive metal. Man, that is fantastic that he has achieved that all by himself and against all odds, pretty much. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Guy knows what he's doing. Um, and, and there's even more. I mean, remember, I mean, come on. We got we to come full circle here. The topic today is water, remember? <laughs> I do. So what about the water? Well, at the end of all this, the, the result is, is clean water. And, and water that's clean enough where it can, it's totally compliant to put it in the sewer system. Oh, that's great. Really, really cool. But even more than that, they're, they're not doing that. They could, but they're not. Um, what they're actually doing is they use it in a, a water treatment plant on site. Um, and that's used to adjust the, the pH of other wastewater that they have. So that can go into the sewer as well. So you see there's this, this compound effect. Before, they had to add all these chemicals to the water mm -hmm. to adjust the pH. And now they just use the, the copper-free wastewater instead. <laughs> yeah. So... A win, 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 win situation. Win. Yeah, <laughs> something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Again, compound. It's 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 great. So, okay. So let's sum it up. Wrap it all up again. So first of all, no more toxic waste. Uh, the copper is is completely reclaimed, uh, and that means less copper has to be mined, extracted, transported, etc. Uh, instead of a truck coming to the plant twice a week to collect wastewater, which again, just shipping water around, that's crazy. Uh, there's a truck coming once every few months to collect copper, which is generating a financial contribution to the plant. So the water isn't wasted anymore, but it even helps treat other water. Again, win, 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 win. Fantastic. Okay, Jeff, you've, you've been waiting for that. I have been waiting for it. I, th I think we're here. Do it. Wow. Wow. Yes. <laughs> really? You, you got me yes. wowed with that. Such a cool story. 
You know, I think this shows really well how some engineering expertise and one small change can have so many unexpected positive side effects. Again, win, 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 win situation. <laughs> Isn't that just beautiful? It's like a chain reaction, like dominoes. Dominoes, yes. And, you know, it, it comes back to what we also talked about before, changing mindsets. You know, it's starting with one person like Emily. Yep. You know, they're, yeah. they're demonstrating that change is possible in the first place. They convince their friends, co-workers, and eventually they're changing the entire eco-footprint of a factory. And speaking of changing mindsets, Kajendra's boss is now the biggest fan of the project. It was a really, really good feeling when we first harvest those copper from the, from the plant. In fact, uh, my manager, he's got one of the cathodes sitting next to his desk. I think uh, he does show to the visitors, so a few other people who come on side, look, this is what we are producing. Isn't that great? <laughs> Love that. And, and so for me, this is, in actuality, it's a story about, about leadership and role models. Um, you, you just need people who just go ahead and yep. start making the changes. But not only people, I'd say, also companies can become a role model. Mm -hmm. for a bigger impact. Bosch has taken on that role, for example. By the end of 2020, we became the first climate-neutral company of our size. And sustainability will remain a major topic for Bosch. Have a look for our listeners at the new campaign featuring Sean, who you know, Bosch CEO Volkmar Denner, and introducing Shauna. Top the battle, let's unite! Carbon neutral, that's how we fight, because time is running, we need to act and do so much. Okay. E-bikes, heat pump, Porsche's tools, basic stuff you learn in school. Dang. Mounting ice is climate crisis, smart devices, awareness rise. All I'm saying is stop delaying, work together, I ain't playing. Every little choice can make a change, hand in hand for one new way. <laughs> you can find the clip of the video in the show notes. Really, don't miss this. No, don't. Sustainable, like a Bosch, is a slogan that personally resonates with me. I feel proud that we've achieved this. And behind it is the work of many individuals who make the decisions to make their workplace more sustainable. They all change mindsets and then habits and then practices. These are the people we rely on not only as a company, but also as a society at large. Uh, however, I have to say, I think that uh, sustainable like a Bosch is, is also something more like a promise. We can't think that our job is, is already done. I mean, Coming back to Kajendra Tapa's work in Australia, he's certainly still working on further improvements. You know, we talked a lot about the copper, but in the beginning he also mentioned that there's also some water that's been contaminated with the nickel. And that's what he's working on now. Mm, I have an idea. Um, can't he just, maybe that's too easy, but can't he just put some electrodes in it and then harvest the nickel? <laughs> How about that? Yeah, you're uh, you're on the same same track that he was, Melina. Uh, he he tried that as well. Um, also, but that, sounds like there's a but coming. Always, always. But he came up with his own solution. Uh -huh. We have started um, doing some study, and basically, I finished that testing as well. And um, we have now developed a method of uh, extracting that nickel from that wastewater as well. Perfect. I also cheers to that. Cheers to that. Jeff, you just said sustainable like a Bosch, that that's like a promise to you. Um, so that's that's interesting. Um, to me, that means it goes far beyond what happens inside the company. 
Bosch being carbon neutral as a company is one thing, and of course it's absolutely fantastic, but we also need to help consumers save energy and water, I think. And this is where I'd like to share a little bit more about how amazing modern washing machines are, just as one example. Okay. So brace yourselves for some more surprises about how, thanks to technology, washing machines today achieve the same great washing results as, let's say, 10 years ago, but use a lot less energy and water. When, when I think about that, that's really, really interesting because if, if you just look at the, a machine from 10 years ago, it looks the same as the machine today. And for sure, they're you know, fundamentally functioning in the same way. It's not like replacing a, a traditional incandescent bulb with an LED. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Um, but nonetheless, washing technology is still relying on that rotating drum on heat and water and soap. Spot on. Experts like Harald Moschitz call this the sinner circle. Uh, sorry, the what now? The sinner circle. <laughs> sinner. Sinner circle. Sinner. Okay. Yeah. He'll explain. Please. <laughs> the sinner circle is a model developed by a scientist named Professor Sinner. Okay, that's not nearly as horrifying as I imagined. Okay, yeah, that's fine. German Sinner, not, yeah. Sinner circle. <laughs> Think of it as a pie chart with four sections. Each section represents one impact on your laundry. Temperature, chemistry, mechanics, and time. These four always have to add up to the full circle, but you can tweak the size of the sections. You can balance, for instance, heating energy to heat up the water versus program duration. And uh, so you can create a washing program that have exactly the same washing performance, but is using less heating energy, but compensating this completely by a longer washing time. Got it. So if I take away some here, then I have to add some over there. That makes sense. Um, I imagine temperature and the chemistry, mechanics, and time kind of like four knobs that Harold can adjust to create different wash cycles. Mm-hmm. That's how it works, okay. more or less. If, if that is like a law of nature, how can washing machines still become more and more efficient? One development is that wash cycles have become much longer. The most efficient ones take some four hours, which has implications for the engineering of washing machines. We have to develop machines that are more sustainable, that can run longer time. So we have to develop motors that are using less energy, but can run for a long time. Our new inverter motors are this kind of motors, for instance. So now we can increase the amount of time in the Zinner circle. Next up, the mechanics. I'm not sure I want to increase the amount of time in the center circle. Um, what's there to gain there? Uh, from a simple glance, I mean, as I said before, the, the drums today look basically the same from 10 years ago. Actually, Harold says there have been some good improvements on drum design, optimizing the mechanical impact on the textiles. Probably the biggest impact is the use of bigger drums. Yeah, okay. They're, they're definitely bigger. And I, I guess because, uh, I mean, when the laundry is lifted up, by the turning of the drum with a if it's a bigger drum then it has a farther way to fall mhm 
And then so you're you're utilizing that mechanical force that's built up from that. Mm-hmm. But how can you build a bigger drum into a washing machine that is still the same size? It, well, obviously that's the uh, the magic of the center circle, I guess. Electronics is the answer. <laughs> All right. This could be achieved by better electronic unbalance detection. So the machine needs less moving space during the spinning. <laughs> to, to use a, uh, a little bit of a euphemism, the drum needs less wiggle room <laughs> uh, because the sensors are detecting when it's spinning unevenly so they can control that better. So first, we increase the amount of time in the Zinner circle. Now the mechanics. And we already talked about the fact that the chemistry got better too with high-efficiency detergents. All of that means that we can reduce the fourth section of the Zinner circle, the water temperature, which saves energy. Here's another key aspect. The mechanical design of the machines was changed to enable the washing with lower and lower water amounts inside the machine. For instance, we have circulation pump systems that taking the water from the bottom of the tub and spraying this inside the laundry again. Less water means less water that has to be heated. Again, saving energy. But there is a problem. What's that? It's you, and it's me. <laughs> so, so basically people who operate the washing machine. Here, here we go. I knew I was going to get blamed <laughs> for this somehow. We are just too impatient. We don't want to wait four hours. We select temperatures that are unnecessarily high. Yeah, Human or, factor. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, or use too much detergent. Again, you already informed me I was doing that improperly. Um, yeah, we discussed that. So, so what exactly can I do about it? The solution is called automation. The machine is automatically doing a load detection in the beginning of the program and is adjusting the water amount, the program duration, And if you have the automatic dosing system, also the detergent amount accurately and exactly to your load amount and degree of dirtiness. Right. Some of those modern machines, I mean, they're basically doing everything themselves. I mean, I know they're they're weighing how much laundry is in there first, right when you put it in. Um, and then with the weight, automatically adding the right amount of water and the detergent. So, I mean, if I'm... If I'm having the right machine, basically the only thing I have to do is load and unload it. They also measure how much water is soaked up by your textiles. So if you wash towels, again, back to your sweaty gym towels, they use more water. And obviously I absolutely need that. Thank you. <laughs> so we got a lot of user errors covered there. <laughs> yeah. Now, how do we get more people to use lower temperature cycles? That's why these energy saving program is now named Eco 40 to 60. So in modern washing machines, starting March this year, you will find the program setting ECO 40-60. And uh, this is a recommended uh, energy-saving program. You know, I got to be honest, that, that kind of sounds like a marketing trick. <laughs> well, actually, it's required by regulators in Europe. So the thinking is that you can now achieve the same washing results at 40 degrees Celsius than you achieved at 60 degrees in the past. So if it's called 40 to 60, the hope is that people will combine their 40-degree laundry pile and their 60-degree laundry pile into one. That means they're not only washing at a lower temperature, but also more often have full loads. Ah, right, because the machines actually these days are most efficient when they're full and not just half full. Yeah, correct. 
In this episode, we have mentioned again and again how difficult it is to change mindsets and behavior. So maybe the Eco 40 to 60 washing cycle can help. I think it's worth a try. I totally agree. But but tell me, is it is it the end of the road now for washing efficiency? I mean, we've made so much progress. Mm. At some point, we're going to hit a wall, right? Mm-hmm. The road just got a little bit longer. Starting in March, there will be new energy efficiency labels in the EU. Again, going from G up to A. For Harald, it's new motivation. Yeah, a uh, uh, new label and the related rescaling is always a driver for competition and for technology. Yeah, of course. And uh, naturally, you want your washing machine decorated with the nice, shiny new A-label, right? The only thing is, washing machines use so little water today that Harold says it's almost impossible to wash with any less water. But what still improves by a lot is the electronics. So the sensors and the software are getting better at understanding exactly what's going on inside of the machine. Yes. And with that, guess what? When the new label launches, Bosch will already have a machine ready with the energy efficiency class A again. Wow. I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> and and I think, uh, really, this is a nice conclusion of this episode, Milena. It's, it's hard to make changes toward a more sustainable lifestyle already. But in many ways... Technology can help us with that. And when we have the technology that we can trust, it will do a great job. We can just set it and forget it. Forget all the different settings on your washing machine. Just load it up and press start. That's right. Yeah, pretty convenient. Which is more or less possible today. I'm really curious to hear from our listeners what they've changed in their lives to be more sustainable. So why don't you send us a voice memo and tell us about a habit that you've changed? And really, no matter how small it is, it has an impact. Yes, we'd really love to hear from you. So please send your voice memo to contact at bosch.de. That's K-O-N-T-A-K-T at bosch.de. Or please just write us a comment below. Or tell us what your Earth Overshoot Day is so that Jeff and I feel a little better. Yes, please. (laughs) That's it from us. Talk to you next month. Because from now on, you can expect new episodes coming out always on the last Thursday of the month. Next month, our topic will be wearables and hearables. I'm excited to see how Bosch can help impact my sports regimen. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait for that. Talk to you soon. Next month, we'll be back. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Nasmata! You're about to win! We'll bring it on, little one! My first beat! Pump the heat! Save energy! Works for me! Okay, cool! Drilling tool! Super strong! Last so long! Whatever. Whatever. I mean, it's clever. But back to me. Like a boss. Charging me. Like Electric drop. Like a My cool light. Like a I drop the mic. I like your bike. Hey! Take steps with me. Like Save energy. Like a boss. Water saving camel saying. How amazing. It's time to quit. Like that was fun. It's past your bedtime and I'm done. Like a boss. Like a boss. Unite. Carbon neutral, that's how we fight Cause time is running, we need to act and do so much That's a fact
bags. Okay. E-bikes, heat pumps, washers, tools, basic stuff you learn in school. Dang. Mounting ISIS, climate crisis, smart devices, awareness wise. All oh. I'm saying is stop delaying. Work together, I ain't playing. Every little choice can make a change. Hand in hand for one new way. This works. Live sustainable, like a boss, with many eco-friendly solutions for a better future. Because every little choice can make a big difference. That's Bosch.